Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Here we go. Okay. And good evening, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of We Got Next. I'm Ricky Hampton here with the big fella, host Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Wow, really? We have Paul McCartney out today? That's crazy. <laughs> I'm on the wrong show. I'm here with the big fella, Coach Mo, Paul McCartney. We've only been doing the show for three years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the wrong show. I thought it was Paul McCasty. Okay, I, I, I had a few before we went on the air. So, uh, now, hey, it is great to be here. Mo, we're going to have fun tonight. We got a special guest here with us. Uh, we're going to give him an official introduction uh, in a minute. But, Mo, we actually got some sad news here. And, and I know you, as a student of the game, a player of the game for all these years, uh, would like to talk about the passing of uh one of the legends of basketball bobby knight before i get your comments let's play this right quick this is courtesy of thr one of the biggest personalities in the history of college basketball he coached at indiana university from 1971 to 2000 and he finished his career with seven more seasons at texas tech in 42 years on the sidelines he won 902 games that ranks third all time. The banners in Assembly Hall tell the story. Knight led the Hoosiers to three NCAA titles, one NIT title, and 11 Big Ten championships. His 1975-76 team went undefeated and won the national title. That squad is the last men's team to go undefeated from start to finish. Knight was the National Coach of the Year four times, and he led the USA to a gold medal in the Olympics in 1984. He was praised for running clean programs and graduating players, but he often sparked controversy with his fiery personality. He was outspoken and often clashed with the media. Look at here, look at here. <laughs> Bob Knight made headlines in 1985 with one of the most famous ejections ever. He tossed a chair across the court during a game against Purdue. Unfortunately, there have been many instances in the last 17 weeks in which Coach Knight has behaved and acted in a way that is both defiant and hostile. Knight's years of coaching at IU came to an abrupt halt when he was fired in the fall of 2000 after a run-in with a student. But many of the IU faithful stood by his side. He never returned to Assembly Hall until February 2020, when dozens of his former players joined him on the court. The general got a hero's welcome home. Rest in peace, Coach. Bob Knight was 83 years old. And that's courtesy of WPHR Indianapolis. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's a sad day uh, when a legend uh, passes away, but uh, you know he gave so much to the game. Uh, really interesting. Um, I played uh, with at least three of his uh, former players. I played with Isaiah Thomas in Detroit. I played with Bobby Wilkerson in Cleveland, and I played with Kent Benson in Detroit. So, uh, and I knew Quinn Buckner really well. So, you know, they used to tell stories and horror stories about practice, but in the long run, all of them loved the man and really respected what he did and how he disciplined them to make them grow up uh, and become young men. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's a great, it's a great loss for the game. I'm wondering, because remember what he said back in the day, that uh, when I pass, I hope I'm buried upside down so all I can <laughs> kiss my ass. <laughs> remember <laughs> that well. That should remember be on that. his tombstone. But, uh, hey, yes. Paul, don't, hey, Paul, don't you agree being around players that uh, played for college coaches even some high school coaches that the one thing they say is if that coach remains in their life beyond basketball and they love the man, that's the true mark of a great coach that, you know, he becomes a father figure for them for the rest of their life. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the reward for a coach um, is what their players slash students do in their life and not just on the court, but off the court. You know, having families, doing well in business, being a good person, 
Um, and, uh, you know, that's the ultimate goal. I coached for over 20 years and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I have a G league championship, but I'm more proud of the players, uh, you know, in some of these minor leagues that are now in business and doing being successful and raising families. And, uh, you know, that's where Bobby Knight and all his, uh, former players stand out for sure. Sure. And, and, and at the end of that, uh, clip when he came finally came back to uh, Bloomington, you saw all those players that came back to celebrate with him. I know Isaiah Thomas said uh, Coach Knight helped him make uh, make a man out of him at, at a young age, uh, coming out of Chicago down to Bloomington. His players loved him, so I guess to really appreciate. Because I was not a big fan of some of his antics. No, I mean he, he did some. You know, just because you do bad some bad stuff and make mistakes doesn't make you a bad person. Um, so he made some bad decisions, like we saw the the chair throw, and you know, I, I think he almost got kicked out of a country when he was coaching for USA. Yeah, Puerto Rico. You know, he he said some some stuff about people and rubbed people the wrong way, um, but I think deep down his heart, um, you, you know, came across and. Uh, you know, I think a lot, you know, even when he was going through those problems at, at uh, Indiana and, and Texas A&M, student bodies seem to always be behind him, you know? Yeah. Hey, and we want to welcome our viewers out there. I see everybody's loading up. Hey, we get the questions and comments in throughout the night. And uh, hello to Chris and, and David and, and Mike and Steve. And uh, Chris has a good comment here, Mo. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. He said Bob Knight would not have made it coaching in today's games. No, uh, it's a totally different world. You can't coach uh, that way anymore. Uh, you know, you would be fired and sued. And, um, you know, it's just a different game. I mean, you know, when I played, um, you know, coach told you to walk, run through a wall, you ran through the wall. You know, that's just what you did. And there was no question about it or why or what are we doing? Uh, you know, now when I, you know, I, you know, I stopped coaching a while ago, but when I coach, I'm like, you know, now you have to tell the players why they have to run through the wall. You know? <laughs> that's, just, that's just the difference. There's no when I knew that coaching changed when I started hearing players say, you know what, I need to be able to accept coaches criticism. Where, you know, coaching became criticism in, instead of coaching. And, and that's so wrong. I mean, you know, uh, you know, coaching criticism is, you know, uh, hey, Keith, you, you, your shot is terrible. It sucks. That's criticism. Coaching is, Keith, your shot is not up to par. We need to work on it. We're going to start doing drills after practice. So absolutely. You know, there's so, and, and I hear this all the time now. I, I go to AAU games or high school games or college games, and I hear coaches a lot of times, like in practice, say, hey, get out of your feelings. They say, get out of your feelings. That means they're being too sensitive. But, uh, yeah, there's no question, Chris, he could not be coaching in today's game. Hey, hey, Paul, did you see the change even at the highest level in the NBA? From your playing days to your days as a scout as an assistant coach? Absolutely. No question. I mean, just look what's happening. Just look at the James Harden situation. Like I saw, James Harden is, is four for four. Every time he's demanded a trade, he's got it. He's gone to the team he wanted to go to, and he's made more money. It's a player's league. And now the college is becoming that. With the NIL money and, and all this, college is becoming that also. No doubt, know, so, no doubt. You know, so, uh, you know, it, it changed, uh, you know, a, a while back. and But you could see it change. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's not changing back, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey Mo, let's, let's introduce our guests uh, to the audience. Um, but before we, we do that, I do want to play this uh, introduction. One. When I was physical instructor at Springfield College in Massachusetts, one day I had an idea. I called the boys to the gym. I showed them two peach baskets I'd nailed up at each end of the gym, divided them up into teams of nine, and gave them an old soccer ball. I told them the idea was to throw the ball into the opposing team's peach basket. 
And uh, what rules did you have for your new game, Dr. Mason? Rule number five. No shouldering, holding, pushing, tripping, or striking. Yep. Hey, these are worth about $10 million. And in 1936, I saw it played for the first time at the Olympic Games. He was the uh, first inventor of a game to see his sport played in the Olympics. Both Hitler and Nathan touched this ball. A great story here on John McClendon, who a lot of folks may not know about. Not only in terms of being the first black coach, he was the first one to really play fast break basketball. Coach John McClendon's Tennessee A&I squad becomes national intercollegiate basketball champions for the third consecutive year. John McClendon is the last living link to the founder of the game, Dr. James Naismith. Dr. Naismith, he knew about my wishes and he advised me or told me that uh, you're on the right track. The big town welcomes the clown kings of basketball, the famous Harlem Globetrotters. Together with their coach, Abe Saperstein, they created one of the most innovative basketball teams the world has ever seen. You gotta understand that all sports were segregated at that time. So basketball was no different than any other. You would have the Jewish team here. You would have the Irish team here. You would have the black team here. And again, because it was this urban community game, teams would develop in pockets and in, in neighborhoods. People moving out, people moving in. It's staggering, to be honest. It's just, it's just something that Dr. Naismith could never comprehend. It is a natural, the game of basketball, to cross gender boundaries. Well, I think sports in general is one of the avenues that brings people together. All of a sudden... Basketball played on the playground is one of the great crucibles of democracy in America. The only thing that matters is you got game. Julius Irving was responsible for the ABA merging with the NBA. Oh! Highlight Larry Bird, chucking down the court. The Celtics cannot handle the speed of the Lakers. Whose game is it? It's Michael Jordan's game. everybody to Keith Zimmerman. We've been friends for over 20 years. We met playing pickup basketball way back in the day when we were both younger uh, and just <laughs> enjoying the game. And uh, our friendship grew and uh, uh, being at Kansas University, uh, Keith uh, was uh, uh, instrumental in the promotion of the uh, rules of basketball, Naismith's rules, and uh, you know, met all those people and interviewed all those people. And uh, now he's uh, doing a, uh, um, a series on uh, the inclusion in uh, basketball. And I was thinking about this, Keith, but I'm going to add this too. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's the inclusion, but it's also the evolution of the game of basketball and how it's evolved over the years with inclusion of, you know, black yeah. players and women and then international and... Uh, you know, it's a game that all three of us and probably everybody watching right now loves and have I've loved it since I was a little kid. And uh, I think it's really important that uh, Keith is putting all this together so some of the younger players and people and lovers of the game can see actually what happened. Because, you know, I played in the 80s, um, you know, with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and then Michael Jordan and some great players, Kareem and Dr. J. Uh, but... You know, you know, now, uh, you know, players now don't even remember Dr. J. Mm -mm. Hell, they, they hardly ever, you know, if it wasn't for his shoes, they wouldn't remember Michael Jordan. And, you know, now you have Kobe, you know, uh, rest in peace. And, you know, all these, all these great players, you know, kind of go by the sideline, but the game is always the game. And uh, just excited to have Keith here on our show. I appreciate it, Paul. Absolutely. Feel the same way. Yeah, this was, uh, you know, this has been a labor of love. I've been marketing. Um, I grew up in a unique way. My, uh, all my family on my dad's side 
was killed in the Holocaust. And dad was the only male, uh, male in, you know, figure. I mean, obviously my father, uh, uh, on my dad's side, it was just dad and I, and my mom, her father happened to have a pharmacy down on 18th and Brooklyn and attached Paul, you know, this, uh, you, you probably know it. Uh, Ricky, you were talking about Gates barbecue, right? Where the original Gates barbecue is, is Brian's barbecue. Yeah. And they were attached there and like the old, song and uh, sitting on the corner of 18th and Vine. I grew up down there. So, you know, I used to sit at the soda fountain as a little kid and uh, Satchel Paige and Buck O'Neill were like my uncles. So I grew up around black culture, but still lived out in the suburbs and, you know, loved sports. So I always, I always cheered for the black guy. And yet, you know, I had that ethnicity in me that, uh, you know, when I saw sports, I saw how sports brought people together. When I started playing pickup ball, particularly basketball, not so much football or baseball, but pickup basketball, you know, I could go down and play ball in the, in the hood. And in those days, it was a lot safer and, you know, made great friends and stuff. And then as the 60s went along and I grew up, you know, a lot of my friends got drafted to Vietnam and got killed. Others joined the Black Panthers while all, all of us white guys went on to college. So, you know, I protested the Vietnam War. I marched with Martin Luther King and stuff. So I always had that. I always had that strong feeling about how basketball really breaks down social barriers. And I put on events. I marketed the 100th birthday of basketball with Sam Lacey. Also, rest in peace. Sam was my dear friend, best friends with Marcus Haynes and uh, Gator Rivers, a lot of former Globetrotters. And Oscar Robertson has been real important to me, uh, guys like Paul and stuff. So I just networked, and I probably had, you know, 100 friends that were ex-NBA players. And now that I'm older and I've hit the 70 mark, you know, it's all about video now. And, uh, you know, we've got a group of uh, partners in L.A. I'm here in Kansas City. Everybody else is in L.A. And we said, you know, let's make this. We got the film. I've got the inside story on Coach McClendon through Marcus Haynes. I got Marcus's story, you know, and we obviously Lucius Allen. You know, and guys like that have talked about John Wooden in UCLA. We talk about the death of playground basketball because people don't really play out in the playgrounds anymore. It's too dangerous. Uh, the Negro League Baseball Museum, where I'm close to, they have a, uh, you know, they have a, a series they want to do in the film called Base Pass to Baseline about all the great Negro League players that were also Globetrotters and they played both sports and people thought they were just entertainers, but they happened to be the best players in the world and they just didn't get a chance to show it. So, you know, we've kind of evolved the game or the show, uh, the film that way. And, uh, you know, we got a little hiccup with the pandemic, but now we're, uh, we're actually in negotiations uh, with studios and uh, we're on our way and this is going to be a, Absolutely great flick and probably be an eight episode miniseries. That was a question I was going to ask what form it's going to be. It's going to be a documentary style and over a series of episodes. Yeah, you know what, Ricky? At first, it was just going to be a 90 minute documentary, but there's no way you can talk about John McClendon for five minutes and move on. No way you can do that with Marcus Haynes. No way you can do it with John Wooden, even playground basketball. All the all the episodes, you know, deserve, you know, to be 30 minute, uh, you know, standalone uh, films and stuff. So that is one thing we have to work out. That's what we want to do. Um, right now, we have a couple studios saying, why don't you uh, why don't you do the first two episodes and then we'll see if we want to pick up on the other six. And obviously we talk about the 
first time basketball was actually played. Even though Naismith invented the sport in 1891, you know, he was already coaching at Kansas in 1896. They're playing YMCA's and corporate teams. Then other colleges start putting their teams together. There wasn't pro basketball for another 60 years. So the first time they played culture against other cultures was in 1936 Berlin Olympics, where of all people, Adolf Hitler, you know, uh, you know, would not shake Jesse Owens' hands or Marcus Haynes' hands. And when the U.S. beat Canada for the gold medal game, the Nazis just walked away and refused to give medals. And we actually, um, my buddy whose father was captain of the Canadian team, he's got the game ball from the very first Olympics. Which, uh, we're, which we're putting up for sale for $2 million. Uh, so hey, that's, hey, you, hey, you and me, uh, Ricky, we'll put our money together. Yeah, that's why I'm on, man. A million apiece. Hey, hey, Mo, before, before you go home, Mo, well, typically in the, in the, uh, in the trailer of bulk of inclusion was Michael Jordan reading, uh, don't push, don't hit. I'm sure he wants to give that to Paul McCaskey. No, <laughs> no, he wanted to give it to the Pistons, the bad boys. It, it the yeah. I, I remember because Keith uh, was uh, promoting that, and I remember um, uh, being able to touch the original uh, rules. And uh, um, this is his great grandson, Naismith, that was carried around in a brief. Yeah, Jan Naismith. I spent yeah. 12 years marketing the rules, and uh, that's where we got a lot of this footage from. Uh, that Jan, uh, Jan passed away uh, after, uh, after the rules got bought by a KU booster, and uh, yeah, a bit of Duke, a Duke guy, and uh, the rules are hanging up at KU now. So, uh, you know, that gave me, uh, you know, 12 years of traveling with the Naismith exhibit and marketing it as part of my traveling sports extravaganza. Uh, you know, I learned a world of uh, information about James Naismith, but I'll tell you what, I became infatuated with Coach McClendon. This man is an absolute icon, and I would say 95% of people don't know who he is, and those 5% are all basketball coaches. And they know he started the fast break. He did the secret game, you know, which is a great story that we talk about. And uh, his relationship with Marcus Haynes, they were actually peers. And while uh, uh, Naismith taught uh, McClendon directly about the game of basketball and how to coach it, right about that time is when Marcus and the Globetrotters uh, beat the Lakers in a challenge match. And the Laker, the Globetrotters were like 50-point underdogs to George Mikan and the Lakers, and they beat them in Chicago Stadium, played them again nine months later, beat them again, and uh, Marcus dribbled out the clock for like the last seven minutes. There was no... Uh, there, there, <laughs> no shot Yeah, yeah, no where, shot Where did, where did the, Coach Clinton uh, coach? Huh? Where did Coach Clinton coach? He coached at Tennessee A&I in Cleveland Nashville. State. Yeah. Cleveland State. Uh, I think, I don't know if he had a run at Kentucky State, but Paul, he actually coached. He was at uh, North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina, yeah. That's the school where they did, uh, Ricky, that's where they did the secret game. Talk, talk, talk about that. Talk about the secret game. Okay, so the secret game was in, I believe, 42. Duke was right across the street uh, from uh, North Carolina A&T. And, you know, people were egging them on, you know, these guys at Duke, you know, they're playing games that are like 24 to 22. And uh, you guys are scoring up in the 80s. So uh, they would have been put in jail if people had known the Jim Crow laws were in effect and stuff. And so uh, uh, Coach McClendon had a sports writer that he was really tight with. 
and he brought in two real officials. They uh, they uh, wallpapered the windows so nobody could see inside the basement of the church, legitimate floor, and uh, uh, Coach McClendon and uh, A&T ended up beating Duke like 88 to 44. Yeah, Billy Packard was on that team. Yes, uh, yes. Billy Packard was on, and uh, uh, it was North Carolina Central, but Billy Packard was uh, uh, on that team uh, when they played uh, back then. I mean, Keith, that, this is, and and then we got our, 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 our viewers got questions and comments, and I promise you, we will uh, we will get to some of those before the uh, the night is is over. Uh, but what what prompted you to take the project on? I guess what happened was, uh, you know, when the pandemic came, uh, it was just a slowdown for everybody. And I was talking to my partners out in L.A., Stephen Baru and Bill Wyman. And, you know, I was starting to make connections out there. Uh, through their efforts, and I know a lot of people in L.A., and uh, they said, uh, everybody said, you know, this is a, you don't need to be putting on an event anymore and spreading this stuff out. You know, I'd go rent space at, like, Union Station, and we'd bring out all this material, including sports art and everything, uh, all these artifacts, and then it was like, wait a minute, this needs to be, this needs to be a documentary. And um, actually, for me, doing a documentary at this point in my life is sort of like the perfect ending uh, to what I've been doing because I hustled so hard when I was young, and I've been doing this since I was 30 years old, and I'm 70 now. So for 40 years, I've been out, and so many of my friends have passed away recently and stuff. Man, I just feel I need to pay tribute to those guys and the people like Marcus and Coach Mack. I mean, they truly, I mean, I give props, obviously, to Coach Naismith, uh, James Naismith, for inventing the game. But like you said, the game evolved. And it wasn't until the 36 Olympics, 40 years later, that cultures played against other cultures. And that's what that's what started, that's what started, uh, basically you know the concept of uh you know well jewish people can play with black people and you know irish people and so on and they did it by country and they did it by neighborhood and uh then we know how the women's game has grown uh greatly and then the 36 olympics game um really opened the way for the olympics where you know, all kinds of hanky-panky went on, like, 72 in Munich and everything. But, man, when the Dream Team hit, I got so many stories from people about what happened in Barcelona. And, you know, I know Paul. I know Paul mentored one of the greatest players of all time, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, when he was assistant at Dallas. But I remember Nowitzki. Uh, I met him one time, and he was telling me, you know, I went to every single camp, you know, during the, uh, when I was a kid, during the, uh, 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 what do you call it, the dream team. And he said, you know, I learned so much from those coaches, you know, that, you know, I learned how, I learned how to shoot, I learned how to handle, and I had a complete game. And, uh, you know, uh, it was, it was apparent that the rest of the world was going to catch up. In the meantime, in America, sort of like Paul was saying about it's hard to coach kids today, you know, uh, they weren't playing on the street and showing their things at the Rucker League and Venice Beach and stuff like they were, just neighborhoods in Kansas City, Detroit, where, where you know, wherever. They, uh, they literally have gotten so spoiled that it's turned into they shoot three pointers or they dunk the ball and they and they don't know how to run the fast break they would you know uh me personally the celtic teams of the 80s the laker teams of the 80s michael jordan teams 
they would crush, crush anybody from the NBA today. Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I like the way they play, but um, uh, backtrack a little bit. The, the, because uh, I grew up in outside of LA. I played. I grew up playing pickup ball. I, you know, I knew where all the games were. You know, Sunday, Sunday, I knew sure. we played at, at UCLA, and and then you went out to Verbandale and Compton on Tuesday, and then you went to Pepperdine on Wednesday. And but those uh, have all been. Uh, you know, no one does that anymore. And the problem no. is AAU basketball ruined no. pickup basketball. Yes, it did. Now, yes, it did. Off season. Instead of playing pickup ball, you just get on an AAU team that's sponsored by one of these big, you know, Nike or Adidas, and they fly you around the country and probably give you they give you free stuff and probably money, and uh, and that's actually what polluted college basketball because in AAU basketball, great players would move around and play on different teams and and say, hey, Ricky, I want to play with you. Let's go play in. For the Adidas team in LA and Keith, let's go play in Chicago. And that's what started the whole transfer portal nightmare that we're in right now. And, exactly. And exactly. it also added to the NBA nightmare of players demanding to be traded, like uh, uh, James Harden, and then getting their wish. So you yeah. know, it's all snowball. But Paul, but Paul, when you see, I think the average age of the NBA right now is 23 years old. Something. Uh, Something pretty close to that. Yeah, I and, think it's and, yeah, it's twenty, it's twenty six, twenty seven. But okay, you know, but you know, I remember like, you know, you know how good friends I was with Oscar. I am with Oscar Robertson. When Oscar and Bill Russell and Elgin Baylor and uh, you know Casey Jones, that first group of great black players that were coming out of colleges. You know, they were grown men, 22 years old, had college degrees, had learned the game from the best coaches like Dean Smith and, you know, uh, the, on and on and on. Bobby Knights, Ted Owens, you know, and uh, they had they played the game till they were in their late 30s because they didn't make as much money. But, you know, they had they had the whereabouts to in uh, the means to be coached and learn the game and just get bigger and stronger. And because these young kids today, these young kids today are given, there's a kid that got drafted from KU uh, about four years ago named Diablo. And uh, they drafted him because of his wingspan. He didn't even average half a point at KU. Yeah, I mean, the, the back then, even when I played, everybody, most everybody went to college for four years and you learned how to play, your body matured, your attitude matured, everything matured. That's not the case anymore. No. You look at the, the first round of the NBA draft. <laughs> I know who they are. You have 60% of the players are under 19 years old and the other ones are 20. And if you go to four years of college, that's looked, that's frowned upon now. So there's, there's one and done. Now you don't even have to go to college. You can go to the G League. You can go to uh, the teams in Atlanta. You can go overseas. Uh, you know, so all those days. So, like I told, when I was in the draft room in the NBA in Dallas or Charlotte, you know, we're looking at these 18, 19-year-old kids. We're not even going to coach them. By the time they can play, we're going to be fired going somewhere else. So, yeah, yeah. Know, but that's, yeah. Here, here's, here's the word of NBA, potential. Potential. That's it. That's What's it. your potential? And, and that's, that's it. And then hopefully we can teach you how to play. Hopefully we'll be around long enough. But you know, most of these players, you know, don't have any idea how to play the game. But they're no, going they to don't. college for one or two. But years. the foreign players know how to play. Because they were taught they were taught at a young age. Some do exactly. Some but, exactly. They maintain but, that. I saw today that uh, they listed the top ten players. Uh, the people thought the top 10 players in the NBA and six of them were from other countries. Well, the, last, only five, the last five years, the MVP, the MVP of the NBA is a foreigner. John and Joker, MVP. So Unbelievable. Let me say this. Here's what, here's what Europe doesn't have. AAU. They don't have AAU. There is no yeah. AAU. You train in a pro club. And then you move up in the ranks, and then you mature. Yeah, they play pro ball at sixteen. Hey, 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 
Mo, uh, I, I want to take a little break here and kind of go to uh, some of the issues we didn't get a chance to cover that have gone down since we were last on. And I want to start with talking about uh, James Harden. He was traded. You, you said he wouldn't make it through the year. Uh, and he's gone now. So that automatically makes Philly the winner in my book. Because he's out of <laughs> Well... Yeah. He was. Let me, let me, hey, Mo, let me tell everybody what went down. Uh, uh, the Clippers, of course, got uh, um, Harden, PJ Tucker, and Philip Petrusev. Playing overseas. Uh, Nick Batum, Robert Covington, KJ Martin, Marcus Morris, unprotected. 28 first round pick, Mo. Hey. 26th first round pick via Oklahoma City. <laughs> and a first. First round pick swap with the Clippers and two second round picks from the Clippers. Wow. Marcus Morris. On that Marcus Morris? Yep, they yeah, got Marcus. Yeah, I didn't that's, know that's, the Morris brothers were still playing. Yeah, but that's the bad twin. The good twin's playing somewhere else, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, Philly was in a, in a no win situation after. You know, whatever Daryl Morey did, and then Hardy called him a liar. So you're, uh, you know, they didn't get what they could have got before all that happened. However, uh, sometimes there there's addition uh, by subtraction. So James Harden was never going to play in Philly. You know, he was just there for mm. the money. And, uh, you know, so he showed up at camp. He got a time, a $9 million check when he showed up at camp because that was his pay for showing up. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, so Philly and Daryl Morey decided, well, we're going to get draft picks and we're going to get these. And if you look at those players, right, they're middle of the road players, but they all have expiring contracts. Expiring contracts in the NBA are valuable because they come off your salary cap. Yeah. So, but what they're going to do, because you're not going to wait around. Is a beat going to wait around till 2029? No. So what they're going, what Daryl Moore is going to do is package those with maybe another player and get a legitimate player to come in and uh, give Philly a chance to compete with Boston and Milwaukee. But that's not going to happen probably till closer to the trade deadline. But uh, Clippers, in all their wisdom, you know the Clippers always make great decisions. Not, and uh, <laughs> you know, so they bring in Harden in a group that's struggling anyway, Kawhi Leonard, yeah. Paul George, all these guys. And guess who else is there? Russell. Westbrook. Westbrook. Yeah. Who didn't work for the Lakers, never was Yeah. And actually Westbrook is taking on a distributing role with the Clippers, but that's out the window now. You can't have Harden and Westbrook. There's not enough air in the basketball. They would dribble. You know, no, I don't know so, how they're going to pull that off. I don't know how so, they're going to uh, do it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, but I, I agree with you. Philly's the winner because Harden was nothing. You know, P.J. Tucker was, he's getting older. He's not as valuable. The other kid plays overseas, so, you know, he's just an asset. But, uh, yeah. yeah but Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid des deserves to have a good team around him. Yeah. To see how good he is. Well, look what he's been through. Yeah. The, the Ben Simmons fiasco. Oh, my God. I believe in the process, bull crap. And now this. But now, with Harden gone, I think ben, I think uh, Embiid can breathe now and say, okay, we're going to bring in these guys. Uh, I coached Robert Covington in the G League. <laughs> that was like 10 years ago. But Wow. You know, so they're gonna they're gonna see if any of these guys can help them, but really Daryl Moore is gonna package. Stuff hey Paul, you know what player. I think? Paul, you know what I think about a lot. Going back to uh, KU and they were ranked number one in the country. They had gotten the top recruits, so they had going into the tournament. They had uh, Wiggins, who went number one, and M Joel Embiid went number two. And in the game, in the grade eight, in the game that we got them in the final four, between the two of them, they scored no points. I don't think Joe, Joe Embiid only played like five games. Yeah, he didn't play he at all. He played, he played, he was great. Wiggins just didn't want to get hurt because they yeah, saw his mother Embiid, saw. Embiid was hurt. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Embiid was truly hurt. Yeah, it, 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 it seems to me, Paul, that Philly. 
okay, you got this great center there. No doubt he is a great player. But instead of just building a, a good core around him, like a guy like Tobias Harris, who I think is a good piece. Yeah. Do the splashy stuff to go with him, and and it and it just blew up in, in their face. Well, well, when you go back to to uh, believe in the process, they were building the team. However, then Van Simmons wanted to demand a trade, so they had no choice. So what did you get for Ben Simmons, who has hurt his back or whatever? Well, you get Harden, okay? And now Harden didn't work out, so now what do you get? You get what you can get. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like Monopoly. It's you get what you get. But I don't think the, those trades weren't made to be a big splash. They were made out of necessity. They had no other options. Right. And, yeah. and Ben Simmons isn't, isn't going to show up, so who's going to trade for him? And what are you going to give them for him? You think he'll ever develop? I have no idea. I haven't seen him play this year. He hasn't played in two years. I, I mean, know it. He's you so know, damn so, young. He's so damn young, though. Not anymore. If he's 26, he ain't young anymore. Oh, he's 20. <laughs> is he that? Has it been that long? Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, shoot, he was in Philly for two years. Then he went to Brooklyn for two years. And Yes, sir. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but, but, you know, like you just said, the NBA is a young man's league, except, you know what's really funny? Guess what the best teams in the NBA have, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Boston, Milwaukee, the Lakers, uh, Denver. They all have veteran players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so all that, like OKC, Sacramento, uh, you know, teams like that that are up and coming, but they're all young. So uh, it's kind of a catch-22, right? So when you draft all these young guys, they're not ready to play yet. I mean... And, and you, know, you know what's crazy, Mo? I, I thought Ben Simmons was a young guy, too. Ben Simmons is 27. Wow. He's yeah, done. So I thought he was 27. He's done. Because he's only played, like, out of the six years, he's only played, like, two years, two seasons. Yes, yeah, horrible. But, you know, and then you have so you look at like um, I'm watching OKC play a little bit right now, and uh, Holcomb, you know, who didn't play last year, but he's playing this year and putting up good numbers. He had seven blocks the other night. Then you got Wimbiamba in uh, San Antonio. Oklahoma City has uh, uh, Gilgis, who is one of the best point guards, and he's only like 21. Uh, but you know, they're not ready to make runs at championships yet. You know. Hey, 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 Mo, uh, Chris checks in. I was at the Thunder game the other night playing the Pistons. Chet Holmgren on offense shot four three-pointers in a row. Uh, for a center not being on the basket only for rebounds, these centers are shooting three-pointers. Will you talk about that subject? Well, that's the game. There is no low post players anymore. I mean, even <laughs> even Joker. No. The best low post players, centers, the Joker, Embiid, those are That's the it. best offensive That's centers. That's it. That's it. They, but they don't post up. They post That's up it. on the free throw line. And there's reasons for that. Yeah, Number right. One, it's less physical. Number two, you can't get double teamed as easy as you can in the low post. So that's what the game is now. And, you know, shooting threes, if you make 33%, you should shoot threes. If you don't, you shouldn't. And Holgram is like shooting like 42%, um, mm-hmm. you know, but that's just the way the game is now. Um, you know, no one posts, no one pounds it in and, and posts up anymore. That's not the game, man. Hey, so, you guys, you guys ever think though, I was mentioning, I thought the old school, that, I don't know if you call it old school, but because uh, it goes back further than this. I think of the Laker team and I just picture them starting with putting Michael Cooper on Steph Curry, wearing his ass down. Then Magic covers him for a while. They put in Byron Scott for a while. In the meantime, they got Kareem, you know, under the basket if he gets loose. They got James Worthy on the wing. I just can't believe Steph Curry would put up the numbers when he had to go against that kind of a defensive team. What, what rules are you playing well, that's it, depending on the rule. But it'd be even easier now. I mean, just think no, of those they, guys. They couldn't guard him. 
What if Michael? What if Michael was playing now and they couldn't hand check him? Yeah. I know, what would Michael be doing? The Lakers Magic couldn't guard Curry anyway. But even Mike, Michael Cooper, great, great defensive guy, they won't let you touch anybody anymore. So all you're doing yeah. is getting in foul trouble. Now you put yeah. those guys playing in the '80s. You got a different ball game because Steph Curry's getting knocked on his butt all the time. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess but, I'm talking 80s rules, not today's yeah. rules. Yeah, so, but you can't. Like the Boston Celtics and the Lakers, I play against them all. And, and even the Piston Bad Boys, they, hell, the Piston Bad Boys, half their team couldn't stay on the floor for a quarter. They fell out. They didn't have playing in the 20s. They kicked you know, out. You're out. It's funny going back uh to what we talk about in the film with john mcclendon and you know white guys who only play white guys and black guys only play black guys so guys like marcus he played at all black high school all black college lost one game in eight years between high school and college then joins the globetrotters and uh marcus uh when he died he's the only player that is ranked is a top 10 in his position for a career that never played in the league. And Marcus would tell me, you know, uh, when uh, uh, Coach Mack put, put the fast break in, he said, you know, the white guys were just content walking the ball up the court. And it wasn't until that Laker game in 48-49 when they played back-to-back -back games you know, and that kind of opened up the, uh, that's when Jackie Robinson came into baseball, you know, and they opened up the NBA right after that. And, uh, you know, uh, those guys, those guys just, they didn't know how to play that kind of ball. And, you know, it took a long time, you know, for everybody to meld into it. And Paul, you know, this is probably the ABA that really sped it up because when they came in the 70s, you know that 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 was Dr. J and Moses and Gervin, all those guys. And I mean, it was full, it was well, full the, speed basketball. Yeah, I mean, the ABA brought in the three point line, right? So that that's yeah, that opened yeah. up scoring, right? You get three points instead of two, and opened up the floor to be able to push and penetrate more. That was part of it. Um, but you know, I mean, the game is different. I mean. You know, if I was playing right now, if I was training or my sons were playing right now and I was seven foot tall, I would teach them how to shoot threes, how to drive to the basket, create contact, and go to the free throw line, and then block shots, rim run, and uh, pick and roll, pick and pop. That's it. No post yep. up. You don't need a post up. Yeah. So, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. It's just, no doubt. And you, but you can't tell me that um, Ralph Sampson, Oh even, my God! Even Kareem, uh, guys like that could not play and shoot th threes and dribble the ball. Ralph Sampson had a jump shot. He could dribble the ball. He could handle it just like the guys right now. Mo, I I, I wanted to get your thoughts on on Wendyana early uh, presence in the league since we're talking about big men, and uh, you know he's I mean, he's made for today's game, isn't he? Well, well, look where he, look. Watch this. Look where he takes off from, and he dunks the left-handed. Wow! How's he doing? How's he doing so far? That's a freak. So he's doing exactly what I said about a month ago, Ricky. Right? Yeah. You remember what I said about him a month ago? Yeah. I said I said he's going to have an impact on defense almost every game. Going to get in foul trouble, and he's going to have good games and bad games. So like he had. Uh, 21 and 12 rebounds and five block shots. Then the next game, uh, he had 11 points, four rebounds, and one block shot because he's a rookie. He's only 19 years old. Wow. But, uh, I mean, he's a freak of nature. He got his hands on that ball. He blocked it. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, that's you saw him play Kevin Durant. I but more, I watch his shot. He has a beautiful shot. Yeah. He, He's he's got good. He's you know look at that. I mean, he was fouled <laughs> on that play and he finished behind his head. He just I, I saw him play in person a couple times here and 
you know, he's just a different breed. I mean, you can't, you know, he's not going to post up. He's not going to shoot a hook shot, even though I heard he was working on a sky hook, which I bet as he matures in his game, he'll get like a Patrick Ewing running hook in the paint. Because if you're that skinny, you can't hold your ground and do yeah. dribble, dribble moves and drop steps and that. You get pushed off, but you can, like Kareem, Kareem, you know, what was Kareem at some point was probably that skinny, but when I played Kareem, he wasn't, you know, he was skinny, but not that skinny. He could still hold his own ground. But, you know, that sky hook, I mean, God, just think if, I mean, if, if I was around him, Wimbiamba, guess what we're going to do next summer? We're going to lock ourselves in the gym and we're going to work the hell out of a sky hook right and left hand. And no one can guard you, not anybody. Yeah. Hey, 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 what do you guys think right now if Wilt, at his best, walked right into the league as he is right now. No three-point shooter, but he's Will. He'd be one of the best players in the game. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Well, I mean, he was one of the best. He was with the gold in that video clip there. He dribbled behind his, between his back, behind his. He's one of the best athletes ever to play. Unbelievable. I mean, you you saw him high jump at him. KU. You saw how he high jumped at KU and stuff. I mean, he was unbelievable. There's there's a clip you can pull up. They're at Lake, they're at Lakers practice, and he's shooting corner three hook shots. He made four in a row. Oh man! <laughs> hey, hey, no, I, 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 we're running out of time here. I want to get to some of our uh, comments, man. We thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, this is a great show, Pete. It's been great having you here uh, this evening. Uh, in fact, let's start here uh, from Skip Eddie. Skip <laughs> Eddie. My it? brother from another month. Skipper. I finished third in the Kansas City Celebrity Horse Tournament. Yeah. Uh, shootout with the assistant KU coach. Was the three-point champ in Illinois. We had J.J. Walker. Donald Mai. Yes. We'll be running that back, he said. <laughs> hey, you know what? We can put it on. I want to see. Uh, I can't play anymore. I've had 17 surgeries. I'm done. Uh, but if Skip thinks he can do it, we'll put it on. I'll put it Skip on a tournament just Skip for Skip. Skip can't play anymore. Skip can't he can't play, play anymore. Any <laughs> no, he came here to Vegas, and, you know, we had a great time with Ian Mike Strathman and Oh, uh, yeah. I saw him in the hot tub. He can't play anymore. Well, Skip, go back to the hot tub. This is uh, from Christopher. Would love to see the game played the way women college basketball is played, the way Dr. Naismith envisioned the game to be played. Yeah, that's true. That's what, what are the virtues of women's basketball when you watch it today, Mo? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I hear what you're saying, Christopher, but no, please, no, thank you. Um, you know, that's that. I mean, we, I'm in Las Vegas. The Aces just won back to back championships. I like the way they play, they have a lot of talent, uh, and they get you know good crowds and stuff. But there's a reason why the WNBA doesn't make any money, is because they don't play above the rim, they're not excited enough. But uh, what they do do is uh, listen, uh, fundamentally sound, and I agree, pass, pass, shoot. However, just watch the Warriors play. What do they do? Pass, pass, shoot. <laughs> you know, so it's not a lost art, but, you know, there's more teams that play one-on-one -on -one and, and pick and roll. But, uh, you know, I think a good combination of, of that would be entertaining. But, uh, you know, uh, I had an argument. I had a discussion with, a, with a, another radio guy the other day. Um, he was talking about uh, – the uh, Las Vegas Aces cannot beat the high school team here, the boys' high school team. And I told him he was crazy. But, uh, <laughs> He's crazy. Yeah, but I don't think they could. They couldn't beat a good Division Two team. They couldn't beat 320 of the, the Division One teams. They could beat some of the bad ones, maybe. But you know, it's, you, it's a ways to come. They're, they're, you think, they're hey Paul? Hey Paul, do you think there's a woman that could? come off the bench and play just like one woman that can come off the bench and play for somebody? I don't think so. I mean, the Aces just finished up with the best players, right? Uh, yeah. Angel Wilson was MVP, she, but she's only 6'4", and she plays post. 
And then uh, I can't remember the, the white girl's name that played for the Mercury. And, you know, she was MVP of the league. And the both, neither of them could play in the NBA. Brittany Griner couldn't have a good five minutes. Well, uh, sure. Would she be successful? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, anybody, I shoot, I can put you in for five minutes. I can put her yeah, in. I can, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I, man. We had, I don't think there's anybody, you know, we had one of the best ever when that, uh, Lynette Woodard. Actually, oh, Lynette, I talked to her last she, week. And she played with the Harlem Globetrotters, and she used to play pickup with us in the springtime. Yep. And that was she, awesome. She was pretty strong. The one girl that might be able to do it, man, uh, uh, her name is something gray. She's the point guard here. They call her the point guard. She's about 6'1", but she's strong. So, Hey, know. Paul, you remember when we did the celebrity game in Kansas City for the 100th birthday? Uh, Lynette, Lynette beat Billy McKinney in one-on-one. Yeah, I mean, she's a good player. Hey, 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 uh, no, Steve checks in. Says, the Bucks look terrible so far. You were, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, thanks, Steve, for listening. Next, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, Steve, let's talk after Christmas, buddy. As you say, relax, yeah. relax, relax. I'm a, I, your problem is Middleton's hurt again. That's a problem, you know. What other questions we have, Ricky? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to go through them uh, now here. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, well, condolences to uh, the Knight family. Yeah, we talked about Bobby. Um, oh, the Sooners beat his, the Jayhawks beat my Sooners. That was a yeah. great case. Kansas, right? Kansas football. Yep. They're uh they're decent. They have, hard they're, to believe. Hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, the coaches the coaches doing the coaches doing a good job. Gonna, great job. Great job. The stadium and they're on TV now, so that's all. Yeah, go get that best coach in double uh in division two. Um Let's just let's just keep it moving, guys. We we almost have to uh, witch an hour anyway here. Uh, any idea when when the project could be done? Uh, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be in the market in 2025, and uh, we're going to be doing some uh, some trailers out there as teasers uh, coming up, uh, uh, and uh, I want to revisit you guys when we're done. Oh, and we sure. actually had the film done and you know uh we'll put some of these on dvd as collectors you know numbered editions and stuff and uh give some away on your show but uh uh if a couple things happen that are that we're in negotiation negotiations on right now in the next few weeks i mean we're 80 percent finished with the film we're in pre-production and it's just mostly editing and then finding out whoever our streaming partner is going to be, uh, you know, do they want to do, uh, do they want to commit to all eight episodes at one time, or do they want to do, you know, say the first two episodes and we could knock that out, you know, within a few months and have it out there on the, uh, out there in the marketplace. Hey, hey Mo, got one more basketball question. Can Memphis survive until, they get John back and start their 0 and 4 so far. And oh no. no they, they not only is uh, 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 Morant out, but also Steve Adams is out for the season. So no, no, they can't. Adams is out for the year? Yeah, he tore, his, tore up his knee. Mm-hmm. Oh, it. terrible. I really like him. And, uh, that's a real big. That's a that's a that's an old school big. Mm. Uh well, that's about it. Skip hopes you're doing better, Paul, with your knee. Come on. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, I think, uh, you know what, uh, I would, uh, first of all, I think uh, Keith's project is so important because, uh, are you okay? I thought you yeah, it, it I dropped. Thought, I thought we lost Sorry. it for a minute. Do we need to call someone? <laughs> Holy cow. Compliments but, uh, make me drop. I'm saying. I mean, uh, I mean uh, you know, the history of the game is so important and it's so lost. 
And yeah. uh, what Keith has done is, you know, he has interviews from, you know, John Wooden and uh, just, uh, you know, people that are so important to the history. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's important for the younger players to realize this and, and go on YouTube, please, and go watch not only Michael Jordan, but go watch Will Chamberlain and go watch Elgin Baylor and go watch, uh, you know, all these other players that people forget about. But, you know, keeping it uh, uh, in, in the uh, circulation is so important. And that's what's so important about Keith's project. Well, you know, and how the game evolved is really important. Not just that they're great players, but how it evolved. And, you know, from our standpoint, it was it's the social impact. I mean, truly, we say ball of inclusion the social impact of the game of basketball. And that's truly what we talk about. I mean, there's not an episode that doesn't touch on the fact that, you know, this game has brought these people together. And these things happen because of this and that. And uh, I'd love to tell you guys one last real quick story. Uh, As we're talking about the 30s and the 40s, and, um, you know, after the 36 Olympics, and everybody gets back, and Coach McClendon still coaching in all black colleges, historic black colleges, and Marcus is still playing with the Globetrotters. You've got Jackie Robinson and Buck O'Neill traveling down south, you know, and uh, there's that famous story about Jackie Robinson. I, You know, Satchel told me all kinds of stories when I was a kid, but, uh, I mean, the best one, that people talked about was uh, Jackie Robinson being from LA and going to UCLA was a little bit more, uh, a little different. He didn't accept segregation like the guys from the South did. They just thought that's the way it was. And the Kansas city Monarchs were like the Yankees of uh, Negro league baseball. And uh, they're down there in the middle of the night somewhere in Oklahoma and they needed to fill up their tank. And uh, there, this guy starts filling up their tank, and Jackie Robinson walks over to, to the men's restroom. And uh, the guy pumping the tank said, No, boy, you need to go to the colored only. And Jackie Robinson came back and he said, uh, He said, uh, How much gas do you think you're going to sell the rest of the night before you open tomorrow? And he said, Probably none. And he said, Well, we got like a hundred gallon tank here. And he said, uh, guys, just let's pack up. We'll go down somewhere else. And he said, uh, you're losing, you're losing a big paycheck today. And the guy said, uh, go ahead. And, uh, don't tell anybody that I said it was okay. But you know, <laughs> it took things like that. It took Money things top. like that. And I mean, all those guys, Buck O'Neill, you know, uh, you know, Marcus, Coach Mack, they all experienced the same thing in the Jim Crow days. And, um, you know, people need to know that. People yeah. need to know that, especially as divided as the world well, is. Well, uh, you know, I got my Kansas hat on and I'm a Kansas guy. So the story for Will Chamberlain was he went up to visit Kansas uh, from Philly and uh, he went to a, a, a cafe uh, around Lawrence and they, they, they didn't feed him. So he, he, he went and saw um, uh, the coach and said, listen, I can't come here. And, and they took him down to that restaurant and got him fed and said, don't worry, you won't, you won't have to worry about any of that anymore. <laughs> and, and Mo, one, one quick thing. Uh, Chris uh, wonders, Chris, Christopher wonders, should uh, AAU coaches promote the game as a team sport? More passing, more teamwork. Well, should they? Yes. But the problem is with AAU, most of the coaches, I'm sorry, aren't real coaches in the AAU. They're just promoters or, or got handlers of players or good players. They're not coaches. Uh, most of them don't uh, teach the players what they should learn, you know, which is skill work and team basketball and spacing. I mean, you can tell right now, when I watch AAU basketball, most of them, uh, they full court press the whole time. Uh, then they fall back into a zone and then they just run up and down the floor with no patterns at all. Well, yeah. Yeah. well let me, 
Is there any college that plays that way? No, no absolutely not. No. So why are you playing that way when you you want your AAU kids to get scholarships, right? But you should, so you should play the way that they would play in college, so the coach can look at them. I mean, I it drives me crazy watching high school basketball, uh, you know, at a high level, and they're all playing zone. Well, there's no college in the country that plays zone all the time, except yeah. one, Syracuse. There's only one. That's so it. you're preparing in high school. You're preparing your players to play for one school, Syracuse. That's it. Because those coaches don't know. Can you guard pick and roll? Can you do this? They they don't know. So AAU is, uh, in my opinion, um, you know, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of athleticism. You know, but playing team basketball is the last. In, in these coaches, so-called coaches, thought process, which is sad. It's sad. Hey, guys, we got to get out of here. Keith, thank you so much. Thank you, Ricky. Paul, love you, buddy. Thank you hey, so we're, much. We're going to be off for a couple of weeks. Uh, and just, just follow our Facebook page. We'll let you know when we're back on. Uh, this has been a fantastic yes. hour. So uh, we're off guys because Ricky's having the surgery next week and we pray for him and wish him well. It's all going to oh, be Oh, Ricky, there. good luck, buddy. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. Keith, we're going to have you on uh, here in the next month or so. Yeah, you know what? Okay. Speaking of AAU, I want to bring Calvin Andrews and Myron Piggy on. Yes. That will be a great one. We'll have an AAU uh, I promise I'll make that happen. Yeah, okay. awesome. Well, until next time, gentlemen. Take care, stay, guys. Okay, stay healthy, Ricky. All right, Love thank you. Guys. Thank you, Paul. All right. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.